All right, if you would turn to Acts chapter 4, please. Acts chapter 4. Volume-wise, we just write her a little loud. A little loud? You are in the front row, though. What? Okay. Just down a little bit, maybe. Acts chapter 4, please, if you would turn there. This is a very interesting passage we're going to look at this morning. Um, and again, it, it, it seems like it's a broken record when I say this, but again, able to notice something that I had never seen before, and it helps these things make a little more sense. Um, and, uh, and I think you understand it once we get to that particular point. But um, we've, been, we've been studying the book of Acts, and the disciples and the apostles were told to, when Jesus ascended, go back to Jerusalem <clears throat> and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to help you. I, I, he said, I need you to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And the Holy Spirit is going to help you in that particular department. Well, sure enough, the Spirit of God did come back and did come at Pentecost. Holy Spirit arrives at Pentecost 50 days after uh, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And 10 days following the ascension of Christ, the Holy Spirit arrives at the Feast of Pentecost. And again, this is very, very important. And again, this kind of sets the stage for everything here. Because again, uh, the Jewish, the devout Jewish men would come to Jerusalem for, the, for these different feasts, uh, in particular the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Passover, uh, Feast of Weeks, things of that nature. Uh, at least three times a year, the devout ones would try to make a trip, and certainly once a year they would try to come. Pentecost was believed to be the one because of when it was located, uh, later, uh, early spring type of thing. Uh, more people came to the Feast of Pentecost than any other feast that they had in Jerusalem. So the place is full of people. And so uh, this is important for you to kind of, again, understand what's taking place. More people in Jerusalem than would be the norm. Um, they're in the upper room. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit arrives. It says suddenly uh, there was a sound from heaven. A windstorm literally filled the house. And the tongues descended on like fire, it says, and kind of laid upon them, descended and split upon them. And uh, the apostles were able to speak in languages that they did not know, uh, but uh, others did. Their, uh, people understood what they were saying, even though they were not experienced in these different languages. And it was a sign that the Holy Spirit had arrived. This exact same sign is going to be used with the Samaritans, with the Gentiles, uh, with Cornelius' house, all of these people to prove the fact that, hey, this is the same Holy Spirit these people are receiving the same Holy Spirit as we did at the beginning, as we did at Pentecost. So God used this same sign to prove to the Jews that Samaritans and Gentiles could be saved. Holy Spirit is also a fulfillment of God's promise and Jesus' promise. He said, I'm going to go to my Father. I'm going to ask him to send another comforter like unto myself, and he will come and be with you always. And uh, it's also proof that Jesus is alive and well and sitting at the right hand of the Father. Peter's message to the people when filled with the Holy Spirit was, you, um, you crucified. Uh, the, uh, you know, you worship the, the God of Abraham and you crucified the God of Abraham's son. 
You crucified, even though it was part of God's deliberate plan, it's your wicked hands that did this. And then he died, and he rose again from the dead, because it's impossible for death to hold him. This Jesus is both God and Messiah. Well, the crowd was so taken in, they said, well, what should we do? I, you know, we, we recognize we've evidently made a huge mistake. What do we do now? And he says, well, you need to change your mind about who Jesus is. Be baptized and take an open stand for him. Receive the Holy Spirit and leave this unbelieving crowd. And what did they do? It says they received the word of God gladly. They were baptized. 3,000 were baptized. And they were constantly learning from the apostles and, and at the apostles' feet, learning and getting instruction. They ate and prayed together. And they gave to meet the needs of each other. Peter and John then went to the temple and found there a lame man who had been there for over 40 years, had been lame since his birth, and sat at the temple gate every single day begging for alms. And it says, because of his faith in Jesus' name, he was made whole. Peter and John said, look at us. You remember us. We were with Jesus. You remember Jesus? It's like a second chance for this lame man. And he became a walking and leaping and praising God. The crowd that was there marveled, and they ran to the place where this guy was jumping all over the place to see what was going on. And Peter says, what, what is the big deal? You've seen this before. Two or three months ago, Jesus was here doing the exact same thing. You've seen this before. We didn't do this. This man is healed because Jesus of Nazareth is alive. 5,000 men. <laughs> became believers. So we have 3,000 that are baptized. And, and no matter how you do these numbers, if it's 3,000 and then, and then when you add it all together, there was 5,000 men. Uh, and if that's part of that 3,000, it's still a lot of people. If it's 5,000 additional people, not counting women and children, it's a big number. This is lots and lots and lots of people. And so keep that part in your brain as, as you continue to follow the story as we go. There's lots of people responding, lots of people believing. Uh, the, the apostles are speaking in languages that these people are hearing in their own language. And, and these are unlearned men, and how is this possible? And they're hearing the wonderful words of God in their own language. And then they're responding. And then they're seeing lame people walk, people that have been lame since birth. The temple leaders are grieved by all of this. The Sanhedrin, same group, again, two, three months earlier, same group that had condemned Jesus and brought him to Pilate, the same group that Peter was afraid of and denied Christ three times as so he would not have to appear before them. The same group confront Peter and John, by what authority do you do this? And Peter and John's like, well, if you're talking about healing, well, we really didn't do it. It's Jesus of Nazareth that healed the guy. Now, if you're talking about by what authority we speak, he says, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. There is no other name whereby men can be saved. There's no other name that gets people into the kingdom than this name of Jesus of Nazareth. And you've rejected that name. You're supposed to be the builders of, of the people of Israel. You're supposed to be the spiritual builders. And you've taken the most important stone in this foundation and you've set it to the side. And he said, that's the name that you, you know, you don't want us to speak in that name, but that's the name that's most important. The leaders marvel at the miracle. They marvel at the boldness and the courage of Peter and John and the apostles. But they still want to stop it. They still want to stop it. But it's why the, the lame man is standing right there with them. 
It's like kind of hard to deny that something happened. He's standing right there beside them. It's a notable miracle. And they say themselves, we cannot deny it. What are we going to do? Well, we'll threaten them. And we'll warn them not to speak in this name of Jesus anymore. Not to talk about the resurrection anymore. And so they bring Peter and John back in and say, okay, here's our ruling. We're going to let you go. We're going to be easy on you this time. But never again are you supposed to speak this name, Jesus. Never again are you supposed to talk about the resurrection. Never again are you supposed to talk about the fact that he's alive and rose from the dead. <laughs> um, We've sort of been given this mandate to go into all the world and preach to everybody in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. Uh, Peter says, you judge for us. You make the distinction for us. Uh, Should we listen to what God tells us to do or should we listen to what you're telling us to do? You tell us what we should do. And they continue to threaten them and dismiss them without punishment. Peter goes back to his group, and the group is rejoicing over the fact that what has taken place, and God's showing himself in these signs and these wonders and these miracles that are taking place. And they pray. And they ask God, they said, God, what we need is um, we need you to hear their threats. And then we need you to give us boldness. And we need you to keep those miracles coming. And following that prayer, God, did you hear what they said? Give us boldness and keep the miracles coming. The place where they stood, the place where they were, the whole place shook, began to shake. And in the Greek, it's a violent shaking. It's an earthquake type of thing. Uh, The place was shaken. And it says again, everybody there was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's almost like this is Pentecost all over again. Violent agitation, earthquake, and they filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke with boldness. What was the request? The request is, God, have you heard what they've said? And then they said, we'd like to, you know, we'd like to be able to give us boldness. And now the boldness was there. They spoke with boldness. Verse number 31, chapter 4, verse number 31 is where we're going to pick up. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. They, again, are sharing with one another everything. And uh, I I want you to, uh, this this is important to me, and maybe it's just me, but it says the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, and one soul. Often in the scriptures, heart and soul are <laughs> flipped and exchanged, and it's not a piano song. Um, but it's, it, they're flipped and exchanged. It's just, I, I, I love God with all your heart. Love God with all your soul. Love God with all your mind. I believe heart, soul, and mind are all the same thing. That's who we are. It's the real you. It's the it's your consciousness. It's, it's, it's um, like I said, it's, it's, your, it's your brain. It, it's who you are. It's your character. It's your personality. Loving God with every part of your being, heart, soul, and mind. And here he talks about the fact that they were with one heart and one soul. And it says if they, the things that they owned, they were willing to share with others. They had all things in common. 
And God sends this sign, and it says, Great power, gave the, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord, and great grace was upon them all. The interesting thing, the word power here uh, is not dunamis, like dynamite type power. The word there is ability. And it almost indicates he gave them great ability as far as speaking is concerned. This is not power for miracles as such, but it's power in the words. Remember when they would say about Jesus, have you heard him speak? No, no man speaks like this man. Have you heard the words that he shares? And so the same thing here, it says, with great power, great ability gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great favor was upon them. And again, it doesn't distinguish here exactly where the favor comes from, but I believe they were experiencing God's favor. God is being favorable to them. And, and again, if you're praying and asking for a request and God shakes the whole building, yeah, it's pretty good, okay? And it's like, I, I want boldness and we got boldness. And we want the miracles to keep coming and the miracles do keep coming. One heart, one soul, one mind. They had all things in common, okay? Now, here's what I want you to kind of think with me a little bit. Neither said any of them that out of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Uh, Sharing things with the other people. Verse 34, neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the prices of things that were sold. And laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to every man according to as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's go through this a little bit. Uh, let's start with the let's start with the mandate. It says they they had land and possessions, and they sold it. And they brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet for the apostles to distribute to to those that had need. Okay? Let's think about this for a half a second. Let's all do that. That's my mandate today. Um, What I want you to do when you leave this place, uh, I'll I'll give you to Monday night, that Monday midnight. Um, Sell your house. um, Sell your possessions. And bring the money and uh, we'll we'll set it at the uh, church board's feet and let them, you know, distribute it. I mean, that's a great idea. Raise your hand, please. Okay. Is that what this is about? Do you understand that if everybody went and sold their house and their land, they would be homeless? And they would need to come to the apostles to get some... Right? Let's think it through logically. If everybody, everybody would be homeless. What happens here is as follows. Jerusalem is filled with people, filled with Jews from all over these different countries. Um, Let's see, do we have them listed up here? There they are. Uh, Earlier in the book of Acts, it says they were from, there were Parthians, there were Medes, there were Elamites, there were Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, Cretes, Arabians. Uh, It says from every nation. There were Jews there for the Feast of Pentecost. May I suggest to you that a whole bunch of them didn't go home? Okay? Because the feast is over. But do you know what's going on in Jerusalem? 
Man, the Holy Spirit is moving buildings. Buildings are shaking. People are speaking in language. They're speaking in our language. How do they even know this? We're seeing people healed in the temple. That hasn't happened since Jesus was here. These people are not going home. And so what do they need? Where are they going to stay? Well, you're welcome to stay with us. We live here. We live here in Jerusalem. We've opened up our homes. The believers in Jerusalem are opening up their homes. They had everything in common. Come on and stay with us. You need to stay a few days. Come and stay and be a part of us. Stay here a few more days. This is great. This is awesome. To the point where 5,000 are being saved. Something's going on. We're not, I'm not going home. Okay? Now, there's no cell phone. Just let, honey, <laughs> I'm going to be a little late. Okay? And we'll send a carrier pigeon or we'll send a donkey. I don't know what we're going to send, but I... You realize there would be lots and lots of people staying around that need a place to stay. They need someone to feed them and house them and care for them. And, 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 and they, these people willingly opened up their homes to do this kind of thing. And now we have people selling their houses and selling their lands. I'm going to share with you the fact that this is a rare event to the point that they specifically target Barnabas as somebody who does this. If everyone was doing this, why mention Barnabas' name as being something special? Notice, please. Uh, no one's lagging. Everybody was taken care of. Everybody had a place to stay. Joseph, or Joseph, either one, Joseph is short for Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. The apostles know him, and they've actually known him to the point where they've given him a name, which is being interpreted son of consolation, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it possible. But what's the big deal if everybody's doing that? I think what's happening and what Barnabas is doing, Barnabas is doing the exact same thing that Peter, James, John, Andrew did when they're out fishing and they catch this giant humongous load of fish and Jesus says come follow me I want you to leave this life of fishing and come be fishers of men and it says they left all they left the nets the boats the fish they left everything and they followed Jesus that's what Barnabas is doing he lives in Cyprus this is an island <laughs> and basically he's like he basically says I'm not going home I'm going to sell all my lands I'm going to sell all my stuff I'm going to be a full-time follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what I'm going to do. And he sells everything and he leaves everything. And it's all of a sudden, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. And others did as well. Okay? But, not as, but this is not a mandate, oh, you got a house, you need to sell it. <laughs> um, which is, you know. The, thank you. I'm heavenly ecstasy for just a minute there. Uh, uh, I'm like, this is great. I, um, people from every nation were there. But I think what Barnabas is doing is Barnabas is making a dedication where I'm, I'm not going home. I don't need my lands. I don't need my houses anymore because I am going to be a full-time follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be part of this group. And the apostles knew him, and they had already given him a name and called him Barnabas, and, and uh, Barnabas, son of consolation. We'll talk a little bit more about that. 
But many stayed. They opened their homes. Great power to the apostles and great ability. Great grace was upon them all. Uh, They were all given much, so they were willing to give much. Freely you have received, freely give. Uh, Also the the manna principle um, in the Old Testament, the manna principle of giving is uh, if God has blessed you and you have an excess, you need to give the one who is in need. Because sooner or later what's going to happen is someday you will be in need and somebody else will need to give to you. And the excess is the idea, the manna principle, is if I gather too much manna (laughs) and I cannot consume it and my family cannot consume it, but we decide to just keep it and hoard it, what's going to happen to it? Worms and it's going to be destroyed. And so would it not be a better plan to give this to a family that needs it or somehow came up short that particular day than to just have it rot (laughs) in my house? And that's the principle. No one lacked money given to the apostles to distribute. And by the way, as far as houses and lands and selling them and so forth, how many of these people, I wonder how many of these people owned houses and lands? This is Roman rule. The Jews were considered to be slaves to the Romans. Now, I imagine the Pharisees had some land and the Sadducees and these wealthier people did, the nobles and the, and the elders and some of them, but the average person... Probably didn't own much anyways. The average person (laughs) probably didn't didn't own the house they were living in. Didn't own the land they were living in. And by the way, there's no no record of this kind of giving when Jesus was, you know. How come they didn't give like this when Jesus was here on earth? Oh, that's because Judas was the treasurer. Judas is no longer treasurer, so we can give more now. Um, Distribution was made according to need. Some have also suggested, interestingly enough, that it mentions the fact that Barnabas was a Levite of the tribe of Levi. Uh, The Levites, um, Old Testament-wise, were, uh, as a tribe, were not supposed to own land. They were not given a land. If you remember, the Levites were... Uh, When the land was divided by Joshua, the Levites did not get land. They got specific cities and places where they could dwell and they could be a part of. uh, But as far as individual Levites, they probably could, but as a tribe, they could not. But what this does, and, and, and what I want you to do with Barnabas, Barnabas does something special, and that's why it's listed special. And I think Barnabas is selling everything he's got. And he's like, I'm, I'm not, this is, he's burning bridges, I'm not going home, I'm, I'm staying here, this is what I'm going to be doing the rest of my life. And, and that pattern follows, because what he ends up doing is going to Antioch, he ends up meeting up with Paul, he actually finds Paul and brings Paul to Antioch, they end up be going on a missionary journey. This is sort of what missionaries do, <laughs> sell everything and, and leave everything and we're going off somewhere else to, to share, this is where God has me going someplace else. But this sets the stage for envy, jealousy, hypocrisy, and fraud. Um, He's called the son of consolation, son of compassion, counsel, prophecy. One heart, one soul. Chapter 5 starts out with the word, but. Everything seems so good. 
man, people are taking care of each other. They're meeting the needs. If somebody's from a far country, hey, come on, stay at my house. Stay as long as you want. We're going to take care of you. We'll provide for you. We'll feed you. Everything's good. Everybody has, everybody's needs are being met. This is great. Look at Barnabas, man. He's selling everything. He's going to go all out for God. And he, this is super awesome. But the devil's not happy with that stuff. But Ananias and Sapphira, a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira's wife, they sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thy own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied to men, but unto God. Barnabas' name means son of consolation, compassion, son of counsel. Ananias' name means God is gracious. Sapphira means beautiful. They sold a possession. It says they kept back a part. Okay? That's not the crime. Okay? And please make sure you understand. First of all, there is no mandate here. There's nowhere, all right, like I said earlier, all right, all, I want you to sell all your houses, all your land, sell everything by, that was kind of interesting, by the way, I was trying to make it sound louder and I blocked the microphone, okay, uh, never mind. Um, there's, there's no mandate to, to go out and sell your stuff. People did it because it was, God laid it on their heart to do so or they, to help meet needs and things of that nature. It, it, it's a voluntary thing. There's not a requirement to do so. Ananias and Sapphira are required to sell nothing. But they did. And the problem is they claim to be Barnabas. They claim, oh, we're selling everything. We're going all out for God. Just like Barnabas did. Barnabas did. And whatever credit or whatever glory or whatever pat on the back Barnabas received for being this great, you know, it's like, whoa, wow, did you see what Barnabas did? Did you hear what Barnabas did? They wanted that same thing. They are like the Pharisees who wanted the praise of men. They wanted somebody to pat them on the back. Somebody to tell them, ooh, look how awesome. Look how spiritual you are. You're just like Barnabas. You're just, oh, this is great. Ooh, ah. And so basically what they did was they sold some, or they sold a possession, kept some for themselves, and made the appearance or that we've given everything. Okay. First of all, they did not have to sell anything. Second of all, if they wanted to give half, that's fine too. The problem is they're claiming something that is not true. They're claiming something. Uh, they want recognition for we're all in when they were not all in. We're super godly. We're super spiritual. Look at us. Look at how wonderful we are. We're just like Barnabas. And excuse the phrase, we're trying to keep up with the Josephs. I was told myself I wasn't going to do that. Um, all this is voluntary, but they're pretending, trying to give it. It's a deception. It's a deliberate deception. It is what the word hypocrite is all about. The word hypocrite means to wear a mask, claiming one thing. And, and in reality, something different. Jesus used the word hypocrite over and over and over and over in Matthew chapter 23 to describe the Pharisees and the scribes and, and the leaders because he says, you claim that you care about all these people. 
but you only care about yourself. You just want the praise of men. You are whited sepulchers. You look so good on the outside, but your inside is rottenness. And he says, you claim all these things, and you're, but you're not helping others, and you want to be seen. You want the chief seats. You want to be called rabbi and master. You're not interested in the well-being of other people. That's hypocrisy. You're pretending, oh, we care about you, and you don't. I mean, this is the ultimate politician. I love you. You're my constituents. We love you. And we, we're only doing it for you because we love you. Somebody just, liar, 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 liar. Okay. You say one thing. It's pretense. You clean up the outside, appear outwardly righteous, but you're only interested in doing these things for yourself. Proverbs 15, verse number 8. The writer of Proverbs writes, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to God. Why? Because it's fraud. It's fake. I'm pretending to sacrifice to God. I'm pretending I'm in a right relationship with God, and I'm not. God hates spiritual frauds. Now, here's an arguable point, and, and, I, and I don't know the answer, to be perfectly honest. Was Ananias and Sapphira, were they, were they not truly believers or were they believers that just wanted more praise and honor and recognition and glory? I lean to the second because this whole passage is talking about the church and what the believers are doing and everybody. But it says they all had one heart and one soul and one mind. <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira didn't. Were they, were they wolves in, in, in sheep's clothing? Were they just pretending? Or were they honest-to-goodness believers that just wanted more credit, just wanted people to think that they were so much more awesome than they were, or that they were willing to give up and willing to sacrifice more than they were? We have people, especially in a church-type setting, and this is the place where we're going to do it more than anything else, that pretend to be believers and they're not. Because this is how it's supposed to be. I, when, when I was a young person, uh, much was said about being a witness and a testimony at school. And this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Uh, it was very, very difficult for me. I went to a public school, and, I, and this is a long, long time ago. But it was still very difficult for me to go to a public school and proclaim that I'm a lover of Jesus and I... And, and, you know, I'm trying to witness to my friends. This was hard stuff. And it was very difficult to be a believer and a Christian in that setting. It was hard to do it. And, and you might find it, it's hard at work to do this or, or wherever the case may be. But it's, on Sunday, this was easy because that's what everybody wanted you to be. I, I, I need to talk spiritual talk. I need to talk about Jesus. I need, and it's like, if I'm going to pretend, I'm going to pretend to be super godly, super spiritual. I read my Bible all day, every day this week, and, and I, I had my devotions, and hey, did, did you get what I got out of this verse, and this is awesome, and, and this is the place where we pretend to be better than we are, because that's what people want us to be. There are people that pretend to be believers and they're not. 
And then there's believers who pretend to be in right fellowship with God. And they're not. God hates. And it's like, who are you fooling? Who, who have you faked out? Who have you impressed? You've impressed people. You have not impressed God. God knows your heart. And that's the point of this entire story is, is they don't even get to the point. They don't even get credit for fooling people. Because Peter goes, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? How does Peter know they're lying? How does he know this information? Well, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. God told on them. Peter knows because God told him. These people are frauds. These people are fake. And Peter says, what are you doing? And he even says to him, he says, this money is yours. These lands are yours. It, it, you could do whatever you want with them, but don't pretend that you've done something you haven't done. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. They didn't have to sell. They didn't have to bring the money. They didn't have to lie. But he says again, you've kept back part of the price. His wife being privy to it. And they brought just some of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And again, the idea is they claimed for all, but they brought some. Peter says, why has Satan, this is important to me as, as well, Satan's name is mentioned here. In the midst of the church and all the good stuff that's going on, Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land. He said, you could have done whatever you wanted to. And notice, please, in verse number three, and this is a mathematical principle, uh, if geometric uh, theory, if you want. Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. He says in verse number three, you, verse number, yeah, verse number three says you've lied to the Holy Ghost. And verse number four, it concludes by saying you have not lied to men, but you've lied to God. You have lied to the Holy Spirit. You have lied to God. By the way, if you put those two things together, what does that do? The Holy Spirit and God are the same thing. Okay, And so there, it's like, oh, can you prove from the Bible that there's Trinity? That's a really good verse right there. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. It's the same thing. God, and it's like, you think you, how do you think you can get away with this? Trying to fool God. And it says, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down. And gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. There is no place here where Peter does not curse him to the point where he dies. Ananias just hears the words, and he flops over, falls down, and gave up the ghost. And great fear, and I'm, I'm going to guess great fear came on Peter, too. Peter's, I'm just talking to you. And so I go, man, what, what are you doing this thing for? Why would you do this? Why would you set up this fraud? Why would you? Satan had filled his heart to pretend, to fake. Peter's, why? And he just falls over dead. Why so severe? God hates fraud. A couple of verses, one from the old, one from the new. Isaiah says, Wherefore the Lord said, 
For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips and do honor me, they have removed their heart far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Matthew 15, this people draws near to me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What was Ananias and Sapphira interested in? The praise of men. They wanted people to think they were awesome. They wanted people to pat them on the back. Ananias is carried out. Young men arose, verse number six, and wound him up. <laughs> That's what you do to two and three year olds. Um, you get wound up all the time. Wound him up and carried them out and buried him. Now look at verse seven. Verse seven is like, of, of all this stuff that I've read, verse seven is the hardest verse for me to believe. And it was about the space of three hours when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. What planet did she move to? Seriously, think about this for, again, half a second. We're, maybe we're in the temple area. I don't know where we are, but we're in some kind of place where Peter is talking to this person. And there's other people there witnessing this event because the young men are called to carry this guy out. And he drops dead. And Peter confronts him with his lie and his fraud and, and his hypocrisy. And he drops dead. And three hours later, his wife doesn't know about it? Where was she? I don't know. It's an interesting thought. I just, I don't know. Do you not think that this information would be buzzed pretty fast around the, the city? Man, did you see what just happened? Remember, that it's the equivalent. The guy hasn't walked and he, now he's uh, walking, leaping, and praising God. Come see this guy. It's like, well, you should see what just happened. Three hours and she doesn't even know. What has taken place? And Peter said to him, uh, did you sell the land for so much? Is, is this price correct? And she said, yep, yep, that's right. Peter says, how is it you've agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? It's like you're putting God to the test. You're lying. God knows it. What do you expect God to do about it? You don't think God knows you're lying? You don't think God knows you're pretending? You don't think God knows? Somehow God's going to exalt you and bless you and give you, you know, you're putting God to the test. This is not the smart thing to do. And the feet of them that have buried the husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And then she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost, and the young men came in and found her dead, carried her forth, burying her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Well, that's where we're going to stop. But the signs and wonders continued in verse number 12. In verse number 14, believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. It hindered the process, but it didn't stop it. And again, what's the issue? The issue is pretending to be something you're not. The word genuine, it's hard for people to tell who's genuine and who's not genuine, what's real, what's not real. Because for the most part, people think of us the way we want them to think of us and the way we act and the way we behave. But may I suggest to you that 
in every circumstance, God knows the heart every single time. God knows. God knows. Galatians 6, verse number 7. Be not deceived. Don't be fooled. Don't be stupid. God is not mocked. You can't fool God. For whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. God can't be fooled. God can't be fooled. So if you're pretending to be a believer and you're not, you can fool us, but you can't fool God. Depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. <laughs> and if we're pretending to be super spiritual and super godly, please remember God knows that too. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. Fraud and fake and sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination in God's sight. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. For whatever reason, Ananias and Sapphira's heart was a mess. They even made pretense to do the right thing. Father, I pray you would speak to our hearts. Help us to understand and know that the only one that matters, the only judge that matters is you. And again, Father, if there's someone here that is not saved, may they get, put their faith and trust in you today. Right where they sit, may they put their faith and trust in you. Best way I know how, I'm, I'm trusting Jesus to be my Savior. He died for me. If I'm getting to heaven, Jesus, you're the one that's going to get me there. And Father, those of us that would like others to think that we are godly. May it be real and not pretend. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries of Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factoryvillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.